everyone. Thank you for joining another Casework stream. Super excited to be joined today by both Mike Blom and he is partner at the Lake Law Firm. And as many of you probably know, Rebecca Shepard, she is a tax attorney at Frost Law. When I say you probably know, Rebecca, we've seen your face on many webinars, especially during the PPP days. Um, you were the, the go-to all-knowing as it relates to PPP. So anyway, we really appreciate you guys joining us today. And, and also Bill Barfield, who is our Chief Revenue Officer and General Counsel at Caseworks. We're just excited to connect with you today and talk more about updates, insights, tidbits, your wisdom as it relates to the employee um, retention tax credit. We're getting a lot of questions and we thought we would go to the experts um, to give us just what has transpired over the last few years. I know that there's been some changes. Um, so from that, Bill, I'll let you get started. I know we've got a lot of questions to ask you guys. We do have a lot of questions. And again, thank you so much, Michael and Rebecca, for joining us. And I guess the first topic I would like to cover just deals with, if you could describe for us, what is the employee retention tax credit? I mean, when that comes to your, when you say that, what comes to your mind in terms of trying to explain that? If that's either of us or? Yeah, go ahead, Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So the employee tax credit was part of the original CARES Act with PPP and all of that stuff that Congress was trying to work out to help small business during the pandemic. But originally, you couldn't claim the employee retention credit with PPP. So a lot of people just kind of put it to the side. It was like a $5,000 per employee credit. PPP was $15,000 and $20,000 per employee. It's much more lucrative. It was a better bang for your buck, and people just focused on that. Then uh, December 27th, 2020, Congress realized we were very much still in a pandemic and changed their mind and said, okay, you can use both these programs, and actually we're going to make it easier to get the employee retention credit and make it more beneficial to small business. So what they did is said, okay, for 2020, in order to qualify, you needed either a 50% drop in gross revenue quarter over quarter or a suspension or partial restriction in operations. For 2021, all you need is a 20% drop in gross receipts or a uh, suspension or partial restriction of operations in order to qualify, in order to be an eligible employer. And the credit actually increased. So for 2020, it was a 50% credit of up to $10,000 in qualified wage per employee for the whole year. So you got five grand max. For 2021, if you qualify for all of it, you get an additional $21,000, which is 70% of up to $10,000 in qualified wage per employee per quarter. So it really changed the game in the way that people can use this benefit to help their businesses. I know for me, and I'm sure for, for Mike as well, a lot of my clients kind of had to put their own money into their businesses during this period of time because revenue was tough and it was a it was a tight time in order to operate. And this is a way that you know the government's able to to kind of pay you back for doing all of that work to keep your employees employees employed. Mm -hmm. And and Mike, I heard Rebecca say, you know, uh, qualification. So will you elaborate a little bit on who qualifies for the ERTC and, and and also has this evolved over the last couple of years? I know like it it sounded Rebecca like there's been some changes. So are potentially is there companies 
that were not eligible in the past that potentially are eligible today? Sure. Um, so really any U.S. business can qualify for these credits, um, even 5013C uh, businesses, nonprofits, and it's really at least one full-time W-2 employee. Um, full-time is over 30 hours per week. Um, they have to be a W-2 employee that does not include the owner or any family members at the business, um, and that does not include 1099 workers or part-time as well in the calculation. So as long as you have at least one, um, some firms have different criteria on what they're you know, going to work on, but at least one, uh, you can claim that credit. And in terms actually, of, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm no. so sorry. But if you have a part-time employees, like say you have 50 part-time employees, it may still be beneficial to claim it because it's just of whether or not that $10,000 qualified wage is is hit or up to 10000 So you could have 50 people make 5000 um, in 2020 and you could each get 2500 per part-time employee as well. That's um, right. Yeah. Awesome. Makes sense. Michael, Rebecca, quick question for you. How many companies here in the U.S. do you think are eligible for this type of retention credit? I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. I mean, in general, is this a small population, large population? No, it's a large population. Large. And um, you can tell by, I'm sure, the amount of robocalls you guys get about this every day. And I know I have colleagues and friends, you know, in different industries that are saying they're getting a hammered. Everyone's telling them like, you're eligible for 700,000, 800,000, all of this um, without ever talking to them, without finding out whether or not their business was restricted, what happened to them. Um, so I would just say, be mindful in who you go to and make sure you're going to somebody who's, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily a lawyer, but like a lawyer, CPA, tax professional, somebody that you trust that you think is going to um, properly determine whether or not you're eligible. Because I'm sure um, this Mike uh, agrees in that there's going to be audits on this, and um, there's going to be a lot of companies that are improperly claiming credits, and that companies that kind of popped up. Um, that are charging you a huge fee to, to do this work uh, may not be there in two years when you're audited and then you're going to kind of be stuck. So just, just be really careful and mindful. If somebody tells you that you're eligible for the credit, ask them how you're eligible. What was it restrictions? Is it revenue based? If it's restrictions, ask them more questions like, great. Is it because I am an attorney and I'm a litigator and my court, the courts were shut down. Is that the reason? Is it through this period? You know, how how am I going to get there? Because I think there's going to be a ton of people who think it's too good to be true and aren't going to apply for it and aren't going to try. And then there's going to be the opposite, right? Where there's going to be tons of people right. who are just, it's kind of like the PPP game, right? Like so much fraud. Um, and you just want to really, you know, be thoughtful about, about where you go. I understand. Michael, I know we, typically talk about mass torts and the ERTC claims are a little different than mass torts, but at the same time, there are similarities. Uh, why are law firms or mass tort law firms pursuing these type of claims and how are these claims, these ERTC claims, how are they similar to mass torts? So law firms are pursuing these claims to help business owners recover credits that are due to them. As many business owners have been told by their accountants or payroll companies, 
that they either don't qualify or they were never told in the first place that there was such a program. Um, so that's why law firms are helping them. And in terms of mass tort, you know, everyone has a a similar, I guess you could say, injury or damage that, you know, if you're qualified that you, you know, are entitled to those benefits through the IRS. And it's a very large population of businesses that are eligible. Um, but, you know, very different than, of course, a, a dangerous drug or medical device. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Rebecca, I'm going to touch on something you just mentioned. Um, I guess the question I would have is, do you need to be a law firm to handle these cases? And how can businesses protect themselves if a law firm is not required to complete the claims? I guess you mentioned something about an audit. So what is needed um, to protect you from an audit and what do you need to have on file? Absolutely. Um, so you don't need a law firm to, to file these claims. I am a lawyer. Mike is a lawyer, but um, there are reputable CPA firms that do this. There are reputable payroll companies that do this. I would just make sure that you understand what you're saying is eligible. Um, you know, I had a, a new client come into me the other day, a few weeks ago for tax controversy. She's like, I owe a million dollars to the IRS. I was like, okay, like, how did that happen? She's like, well, I got $3 million of ERC and I claimed it on my tax return. I was like, oh, you claimed it before you got the refund. Well, you know, I would have said to do it the other way, but that's okay. We're in this situation now. You've got a $3 million refund. That's awesome. Um, are you, are you sure it's right? Cause like now you owe a million dollars to the IRS. Like, are you sure that the, the claim is right? She was like, well, I'm eligible. And I was like, how? And she couldn't tell me if you're taking $3 million from the IRS, mm -hmm. like you, you have to be sure what you're doing. And especially, I mean, you guys are all lawyers. Look at the law. The law says you need to have a government order that restricted your business. Have the orders in your file. These orders are actually like disappearing from the internet. Um, we've had to have law clerks go to like the Wayback Machine, which I didn't think was going to be part of my law practice, but here we are um, because new health commissioners are coming on, new mayors, new whoever, and they're wiping sites clean and starting over. And so all these COVID orders that restricted your business legitimately aren't there anymore. So you want to like try to grab them while you can, put them in your file. That's really important. There's a worksheet that goes with the 941s. Keep mm -hmm. that in your file. That's not going to be filed with the IRS, but you need to be able to show exactly how the calculations came about. You know, Congress said you can use PPP and ERC, but you can't use the same dollar twice. So what does that mean? You need to be able to show that Mike made, let's say, $100,000, probably made a little more. But let's say you made $100,000 in 2020. Um, you want to show 10,000 of ERC wages, 20,000 of PPP, and X for FFCRA. And maybe you had another like local bucket of, of some kind of benefit that you got. Show where the dollars go so that way you can show if the IRS comes to you in two years, like what happened? Be like, oh, well, I'm sure that these qualified wages are accurate because look, I took 10,000 here and I took 20,000 here and I took 30,000 there. Mm -hmm. So it's going to add up to the right amount. Whereas if you don't have that work paper, you're not really sure where the numbers are coming from. Yeah. And it's going to be a lot harder for you to, to defend it and audit. So I would say definitely show qualified wages where you got the numbers from and those government orders, why you were restricted. And obviously if you do gross receipts, make sure you have your profit and loss statements and bank statements and all of that. Sure. I understand. Marco, quick question. In terms of the business itself, what type of documentation would you suggest that the business have when they're filing these type of claim forms? 
Sure. So the, the main type of documents would include um, your IRS 941s for 2019, 2020, and 2021. Also payroll documents by pay period from March uh, 2020 through September 2021, usually in an Excel format. Uh, quarterly financials, um, which are gross receipts from 2019 through 2021. If you took out PPP monies, uh, those application draws, draw one and two. And then also um, it would be formulating a eligibility or impact statement if you know the, the vendor or the law firm is going to be using the uh, governmental uh, shutdown mandate order, um, how your business was affected in each of those quarters. There's also other documents that are required, but those are the, the main list for most businesses. Thank you, Michael. Uh, quick question. What is the administrative process like when you're filing this paperwork? What is what, what is the process or can you describe that for me? Sure. Uh, so we collect all of the financial documents, uh, review everything, compile and calculate the credits. Um, we also schedule a typically it's a 45 minute interview to assess the eligibility of the business owner and business under the governmental mandate test, you know, for a partial or full shutdown. Um, uh, impact statement is then prepared. The claim is then prepared and sent to the client to review and to sign off on. And then it's submitted to the IRS. And the IRS will then send a check uh, to the business, typically within three to 12 months. Um, it's a varying time period. Rebecca, do you have any, um, does that sound similar to what your, your firm is doing? Is there any, any different uh, administrative process that, that you guys are doing? Um, that, that's about it. There are certain things to kind of keep in mind that make the claims a little hairier. Um, control groups, what, like how many companies do you own and what the eligibility is for each one. Um, if you're using gross receipts, all the companies of one control group is going to come together into an aggregated group, which can play with that eligibility. And so just make sure that when you're doing those interviews or like for us, we have like an organizer, whatever you're doing, make sure that you're being clear as far as like who, what the makeup is of your firm does. If there's a majority, like there's one owner, does that owner own anything else or 50, 50, do they own anything else? How is it structured and how do they do it? Because that's going to impact the claim. And it could mean if it's gross receipts and there's one group, it could mean that it's a good thing. And like you're pulling in other businesses and if it's, you know, government restrictions, you know, how that interplays, um, like if you've combined employees, they're, they're, things can get a little tricky with certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What are you, this is for both of you, Rebecca, maybe you, you can start. How are, how is your firm acquiring these type of cases and how are you determining if it's a, you know, a good fit, a partner for you, a case for you guys to work on? Sure. Um, so lots of different reason things. Um, I, I give a lot of talks as you know, um, that is one thing I do. Um, so we, uh, partnered with the national restaurant association. We partnered with like uh, the Maryland Association of, um, of Child Care because, you know, a lot of schools were shut down and daycares were shut down and things like that. So giving talks to them, making sure we're educating the, um, the, the consumer base there. We get, you know, just regular word of mouth um, from, from other work we do. As a, as a tax firm, I think 
it might be a little bit easier because we are in that space. And so, you know, all my clients before this were small businesses that, um, you know, bars, restaurants, all these places that had tax mm -hmm. problems um, and, and would have been, would have been qualified for the credit. So we were able to help all of them and then, you know, work, work through their networks as well. Sure. Yeah. No, Michael, quick question for you in terms of your firm, what does the intake process look like for these type of claims or these clients? Sure. So once they come in, you know, the lead comes in, um, we're different than Rebecca's firm. We're not a, you know, organic tax firm, I would say. We're primarily in the mass tort space and also PI. So for us, you know, to, to go back on the, the last question, it's primarily, you know, paid advertising through ads, organic SEO that we have, you know, our brand out there and then also referrals, but not to the extent that Rebecca's firm has um, dealing with all of the tax clients. And then to, you know, elaborate on your question, um, I would say, you know, we we want to help everyone that we're, you know, that comes through our door. So once they, you know, if it's either a referral or a lead submission, we do a brief intake to confirm that they're the business owner, um, the actual business name is correct, all of their contact information, their number of full-time W-2 employees, um, do a couple other calculations to make sure that they're over our firm's threshold. And then we, you know, send them the retainer agreement, go over that with them, um, discuss why or why or why not they may be eligible. And then once they're signed up, we, you know, schedule that 45 minute interview uh, with them. And that's really the process that we have. It's more involved for referrals, of course, because, you know, you want to keep that high relationship with who is referring the case to you. And so you're on the phone uh, more with them, with the referrer and also with the business owner on the front end versus, you know, a, a, a lead gen lead coming through um, that you're just speaking to them for the first time. We actually have like a pretty different process. Um, we have a lead come in and we'll, we scope it as like a courtesy. We determine whether or not they're eligible, look at, like get all the documentation, see if they've claimed it before, look at the 941s, all that kind of stuff up front, and then do like the the engagement after once we know what the credit is and like what where everyone is and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um just like a little different. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. In terms of deadlines, uh, are there deadlines with these claims? First question. Second question would be how do law firms or how do firms in general, how do they take advantage of these type of claims within their practice in terms of an opportunity for the firm? Sure. Uh, so there are deadlines. Um, it's payroll taxes are weird. Um, instead of it being like, so normal tax refund statute is three years from the date of filing or the date it is due. For payroll tax returns, they're deemed filed April 15th of the year after. So for all 2020 claims, the due date is April 15, 2024, because it would have been due. If it was timely filed, it was presumed to be due April 15th, uh, 2021. It's super strange. And then for 2021, it's going to be April 20, April 15th, 2025. So there is time. It's not, you know, I'm not going to say like you have to do this next week or you're going to lose out, but um, 
it does take a little while, like like Michael said. So the the sooner the better to to get it out there, just so to get it get it moving. Understand. In terms of the opportunity for a law firm, what is uh, the so opportunity? So I think getting their own, making seeing if they were qualified based on restrictions. Most litigators that have a more than nominal portion of litigation in 2019, I would say um, would probably be eligible. And then looking for referral partners in ways that they can, um, you know, partner with other law firms to to be able to help other businesses that that they may have a relationship with. Rebecca, we were talking this week, um, and you shared one example, and and, I, and I'm curious um, for both of you and the answer to this. What are you guys seeing as it relates to pitfalls, problems, challenges? that folks should be anticipating? I know you shared one earlier. Anything, any other cases kind of come to mind, Rebecca? Uh, yeah. Um, the the things we, we also do like second looks um, to make sure that people are claiming the right amount because like Mike said, uh, CPAs and payroll companies may be a little more conservative and only looking at gross receipts or something like that and have like an outdated view of what's allowed and what's not allowed. Um, so we'll do a second look to see if there's more claim there. And I'd say at least 30% of the time, we're noticing overclaims. We're noticing that if there's a government restriction that ended on April 25th, that some payroll companies take it to the end of the quarter, even if it, it, the government restriction stops. Um, that people didn't back out PPP properly, that owner's wages were calculated. Like there's a bunch of different things to kind of be looking out for that um, maybe a less sophisticated person to prepare it wouldn't have seen. I mean, I've had, I, I had a prospective client for his refund was $1.5 million. And I was like, this is amazing. It's $1.5 million. It's what you're going to get. And he was like, you know, paycheck said they could do this for me for like 500 bucks a quarter. And I was like, this is like, this is a lot of money. Like just right. have to be really careful. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to find somebody cheaper than me. You'll probably find someone cheaper than Mike. Um, but be mindful in that sometimes you do get what you pay for. And if you're over claiming that may not be worth it or under claiming, who knows, you want to make sure that you're going to somebody who's going to be doing a proper calculation, who is making a determination with you. They're you know, we've decided together, you know, Michael said that they interview you, everyone is going together and like, this is our position. We're signing this tax return because we are on the same page as you. And this is what we're claiming versus somebody who's kind of washing their hands of it. And they're like, we'll do the calculations for you, but that's the end. Yeah. Anything that you're seeing, Mike, any pitfalls? I agree with, yeah. I mean, I agree with overclaiming for sure. Um, that can come back that your the business is going to have to send back money uh, with an audit later on uh, with these payroll and accounting firms. They're not going to cover those audit fees. You're going to be paying them directly. Um, I'm not sure what Rebecca's firm does, but we do cover uh, the audit fees for those, um, even if it's a desktop audit all the way up through a full audit. Um, so that's something to consider. And, you know, with overclaiming, that's a problem because, you know, if you work with a, a payroll or accounting firm, I don't believe they're going to send you back, you know, whatever you paid them up front or rata. Um, with a law firm on a contingency fee, you know, our firm, we actually do send that back. So if, you know, you have to send back, a, you know, 
$20,000 or $50,000 after an audit, um, we reduce our fee and send that back to the client as well. Hmm. That's that's great feedback. This has been so helpful. Lots of great insight. Right. I guess if you if both of you think about our audience being personal injury attorneys and mass tort attorneys, um, and, and we may have covered everything. Any advice for them as they are contemplating and thinking about getting into the space and, and helping um, employers and, and obtaining these cases? Anything come to mind? I guess just be thoughtful about who you partner with. Um, mm -hmm. Like, you know, we've been saying not not all advice is good advice. So just sure. be thoughtful as far as like who you're, who you're going to team up with. Mm -hmm. In terms of uh, referrals and helping out your own clients that you have, um, you know, PI and mass tort attorneys and other practice areas, you should also look, you know, I'm sure everyone has a lot of business owner clients and their own client pool that, you know, are their current clients or past clients. I'd encourage them to, you know, reach out to them, um, you know, through the ethical ways to reach out to them. Uh, and then if they are interested in having those, you know, business owners, you know, introduced to a ERC firm like one of ours or someone else, um, you know, a referral relationship can can be begun with that. Yeah, same same with us. We we have referral partners as well. Perfect. Well, good. Well, Rebecca, Mike, thank you both for taking time out of your Friday to to visit with Bill and I and to share this insight and updates um, to the industry. And we will have your information when we send this out. So if, if any attorneys have questions, they can um, reach out to you directly. But thank you both for your time. This thank was you. great. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Thanks All right. For having us. Thanks, everyone.